You're listening to Rocket Night. Hey Doug, thanks uh, for taking the time with us at Rocket Night. Hey Steve, thanks for thanks for coming out and seeing us, man. We uh, come out and see what we're doing. It's cool. Uh, now that you're back in the states and uh, on the Dirty Dozen tour, how would you rate the band's uh, tour run overseas and in the states? What's been the fans' reaction? It's been great. You know, the band the the band live is uh, it's a fun gig. It's a fun gig for the fans and for us and. That's part of the reason why we put out the, the live record was to show that side of it. And um, we've had a great run this year. We started in we, we started in the end of May, and um, we went all through Europe doing festivals and our own gigs. Then we went to Japan. That was Japan's always awesome, and um, it's building really well in Japan for the Dead Daisies. South America it was our first time to go there as Dead Daisies, and we, we it was great. Great crowds, super into it, and um, you know, since like I said, they heard the live record, they knew what to expect, and um, and then we started. Uh, we we did one show in Poland with a mm -hmm. orchestra at a, at a giant festival called Woodstock Freedom and Peace Festival with a sixty-piece orchestra. It was awesome, you know, a bit different than than just being the five of us on stage, but it was. Um, a lot of fun and a great experience. A lot and more symphonic. Yeah, 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 yeah. So now we're here. We're doing the. We're halfway through the Dirty Dozen. It's been awesome. We started in uh, Chicago. We hit Detroit, Toronto, New York, Jersey, Baltimore. And we're, and we're here. All right. Uh, now moving a little bit in a different direction. Before the Dead Daisies, um, there was just Doug. So uh, I was when, just all by myself. Just all by yourself. Nobody was there. So I was alone. I was just, uh, when did you first pick up a guitar? In the summer of mid '70s, sometime I was uh, 11. I picked it up, and um, there was, I think, my buddies had gone out of town. My skateboard buddies, nobody was around. My little sister had a classical guitar, mm -hmm. and so I just kind of killing time and picked that up and just really loved it. You know. And just went from there. <laughs> I've been playing guitar pretty much every day since. Wow. Whose guitar work made uh, the biggest impact on you? Definitely, it's hard to nail down one guy, but if I had to, if I was pressed for one guy, I would say Jimmy Page. Mm -hmm. Is awesome. And then, you know, it, it's hard, man, because there's so many that, that, that shape a person's right. playing in their style. Because I don't sound anything like Jimmy Page, probably, but I, but I love what he does, you know. And uh, it's really interesting. You can listen to somebody forever and never sound like them, you know. But um, I just always wanted to be myself, you know. And I'm influenced by him, Richie Blackmore, Tony Iommi, Dwayne Allman, and Dickie Betts. 
guys from around here, Southern Rock guys from Skinner, and then Van Halen, obviously, Randy Rhodes, Gary Moore, Stevie Ray Vaughan, just goes on and on and on, ACDC guys. Everything has an impact. All right. Take a little bit from each one. Yeah, you just be inspired listening to what they do, and you know, little by little, it starts to take shape into your own style. Right. Now, at that point when you really started getting into it, when did you realize that you make a living as a guitar player and a musician? I never thought about that. I mean, the only thing I did do, which was my job, was I started teaching guitar because I loved it so much. I wanted to be doing it full time. And I actually, when I was 18, I got a job in a music store and found out that it wasn't like you get to hang out in the store all day and, and play guitar. Right. You had to actually work and sell, you know, and I, I that was, I didn't realize that. So I had been, started playing in clubs and started to have some, a couple kids asked me, a couple people asked me about doing lessons. And um, it just, then I started working in a music shop. Like I went and offered my services to them and they mm -hmm. took me in. And at that time, there were about three or four high schools in the area that um, were, you know, guitar was huge in the mid-80s, you know, early right. mid-80s. It was just like getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Everybody wanted to play guitar. Everybody wanted to be Eddie Van Halen or, you know, Angus Young or whatever. And so I started teaching and I had like full-time, seven days a week lessons. So I, I, I got a lot better, a lot really fast by playing guitar so much and teaching and I was making a living playing music wow but I never thought about you know that I never thought about the money part of it I just wanted I just try to just trying to make ends meet and and get better you know? and teaching actually made you better yeah because there was a lot of kids that were God gifted and I had to work really hard to stay ahead of them because <laughs> they would they'd be ahead of me if I didn't you know right so I'd have to keep learning from other teachers or learn, I had to learn how to read. I take, took lessons for um, some different styles. And um, yeah, it was just a great experience. And then sometimes somebody, that a kid that might've been really, really gifted would kind of lose interest because he wasn't challenged enough. Right. And somebody else that really didn't have God-given ability, so to speak, could with, it, with by putting his passion into it, heart and soul into it, he could um, he could really see great results, and I thought that was cool. So nice. And you yourself have an extensive body of work. I looked it up before you know before I came. So can can you discuss what you've done uh, pre Dead Daisies? Yeah, I mean, I, it's pretty simple. It's if you look at Wikipedia or something, you see a lot of different things, but. Um, which I encourage people to do. Yeah, You've got an extensive body of work there. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of things where it was like a session. Most of, of all the extra stuff was a session. I started in '81, I guess it was. I moved out to California and got made a band with some friends, some guys I met, mm -hmm. you know, met on in the paper, and we made a band and we started playing primarily. We had covers, but we had some originals too. We were working on and we played in Sunset Strip in Hollywood and uh, somewhere around that after a few months um, I was asked to audition for Kiss and it was just kind of this is a long story but 
in the end, um, I didn't get the gig. I was too young, but I did play with them several times, and they were really nice to me. And uh, it kind of gave me. It was a kick in the ass, like you know, because I was like, wow, this, I got something's going on. I mean, I'm not, I'm not the worst guitar player, you know. So I started really working, and then that's when I started teaching and working hard on it. And then finally, I got in a band called Lion, and uh, we were playing all through Hollywood around mid '80s, '85, and everybody had pretty much gotten signed through '80, through the early '80s, '86 starting to slow down and we got passed on by every label but we were a really good band we just weren't like we didn't sound like Motley Crue we sounded more like Whitesnake or something right. like a, we had a British singer and we our sound was more influenced by Whitesnake and Thin Lizzy and Zeppelin stuff like that and uh, so we didn't get signed but we, uh, we, we did actually we did get signed but we got signed to a small label that really just was, we were like a tax write-off, you know. So we made this record, and it was really good, actually. It came out in '87, and we, we did a video that somebody somebody paid for it. But we did this video, and it got a lot of airplay on MTV. And, but we couldn't get the label to get us on the road; they wouldn't put us out. Right. So we kind of were just floating around LA. Finally, we we went to Japan. We were on a different label there, and the band really was was big in Japan different label they cared and they put us out there and they built it up and we were we were doing great but we wanted to get off that record deal because we found that it was no good and eventually the band broke up at that point right actually prior to the band breaking up Dio had asked me to join the band and uh, join his band and I really felt loyal to my friends in right. Lion I wanted I wanted to see it happen you know I felt like this is my shot this is like my band you know and um it and then we broke up it was just the, the drummer got injured in accident and we, we we faded away so i needed needed to find something had some different offers um i'd already turned down the deal thing but uh, my management was managing a band called hurricane so i joined this band hurricane with kelly hansen and jay Shellen, and um, we made a record Enigma and then that was my first real tour was with Hurricane. We toured for three months in the US, we did a Japan tour, we did, but we didn't go to Europe. And then I did a kind of reunited with the Lion Singer and we did really well with a band called Bad Moon Rising in great in Asia, Korea, Japan, some other parts of Asia and in parts of Europe too, France and Germany especially. So then uh, that, that thing kind of went away and I I was really into recording at that point. I did a couple solo records, did a bunch of sessions, tons of different, you know, they would do these tribute records in LA where you play on the Stevie Ray Vaughan tribute or you'd play on the, the Van Halen tribute or whatever. I did a bunch of that stuff, you know, just um, different lineups. It was fun to do and make a little money. Um, so you'll see all that stuff on Weird Video. But then finally, it was my break it really came late. I got called back by Ronnie to join Dio. And because of that, I was able to, um, he took me out in the world, you know, he put, he put me out there and to, to be Ronnie's new guitar player. And we had a brand new record that we had recorded. And I, I was on it and had written two of the songs, recorded the whole thing. It just, that got me out there. I 
So then the rest was White Snake and then Dead Babies. Which are very good. And Revolution Saints too is a side side project. But but yeah, thanks thanks to Ronnie, man. I wouldn't even probably be talking to you if it wasn't for him. Put me out there. Nice. So what would you say looking back on your career? Not that it's it's got a long way to go. But up to this point, what's some of the most satisfying work you've done? I would say um, the first Lion record. I really, I really liked it. I thought it was, it was really good. And people still try and collect it. They pay a lot of money online. But um, a lot of people like the Hurricane record. I, I don't know. It didn't, it didn't wasn't as fun to make as it was to, for people maybe listening to it. Right. Um, it's just the producer and I kind of didn't see eye to eye on a lot of it, but it, maybe it brought out some good stuff. Right. House of Lords was a session that I did, but um, I was really proud of the, our cover of Can't Find My Way Home. I got some good radio play and stuff. And um, Bad Moon Rising, had the first Bad Moon Rising and the second Bad Moon Rising record I really liked. Uh, third one was getting a little more grunge. We basically had record companies telling us, look, we need you to get a deal in the U.S. so that you can go to the next level. And we're playing, you know, heavy, melodic rock, European-based rock, and, you know, that's dead in the States. It's all about Nirvana and, right. and that kind of thing. So we tried to toughen up our sound. Not toughen up, we tried to grunge up our sound. And um, we still couldn't get arrested in the States. So... But anyway, to answer your question, Killing the Dragon by Dio, I was really proud of that, and I, I really liked it. It was kind of like Brick Dio was getting back to the, the, the metal roots, and it had some cool guitar stuff on it. And then the White Snake stuff, I was really proud of. I mean, I, I, I told David we need to make new music if we're going to keep going, you know? And we started writing, we got on a roll, and two studio records, a live record with four tracks. Uh, I was really proud of those studio records. That we, between the two records and the four, first four songs we ever wrote together, there were 30 songs that we published together. And that was great. You know, it was, for me, it was great because it kind of helped White Snake start back up again. And I got my stamp on the White Snake catalog history, whatever, you name it. Um, so, um, but then, you know, I'm really proud of the, the Dead Daisies record. It's a totally different thing for me, you know. It's uh, working as a band again, you know. With, with Whitesnake, it was always me and David. I'd bring him a lot of music. He'd bring some music. He'd work on lyrics and melodies. And I'd, I was with him, you know, from the get-go. of was singing, recording the parts. And it was just the two of us. And then we'd bring the band in to, to kind of put the drums on top of the demos and then it was kind of almost like a reverse way with the Dead Daisies we do it old school together and I really learned that that's a great way to do it it gives you an opportunity for a band to get its own sound as opposed to one guy trying to design the sound right. two guys so it really you know I didn't change my style it's just this is what we sound like the five of us together and then the live record was, was really cool we had um Live and Louder, we had 12 shows to pick from. We, um, I listened to all of them and made notes, and a few of the shows like in total were really good. Like London was a great show, Paris was a great show, and 
some others that were had great moments, but those two were like the best. Right. And then I, we talked about it, and I said, "What do you guys want to do? Because we could maybe we could take bits, a song from here and a song from there, and kind of feature the whole tour that we did." And that's what we ended up doing. And it was great because we could take the best version of "Long Way to Go" and the best version of "Make Some Noise." Right. And record sounds cool you know and the guy that mixed the studio record mixed the live record so it's it's got the daisy sound as well and i have the album by the way i love it cool thanks man yeah it's yeah. it shows a different side of the band it's really fun you know that, that shows john Krabi is a great front man you know there was no vocal overdub he, he, that's him that's yeah. that's what he's saying he's one of the most consistent singers i've ever worked with really i mean it's unbelievable. Yeah. He's uh, he's just uh, he's just got it. He's got it. You know? Yeah, he is good. And now that we're on the subject of uh, your current band, um, what makes the Dead Daisy similar but yet different from other rock and roll bands that we've seen, like in the '70s and the '80s? Well, it's a we, we're definitely representing that classic sound in the right. '70s and '80s, and trying to so we're trying to update the sound, give it a fresh coat of paint, so to right. speak. And that's done a lot by the, the guys that are producing and mixing and doing that stuff. That we talked about like what kind of record we wanted to make, and we were coming up with songs. And the producer said, "You know, I, I want to make this just a straight up, no frills rock and roll, kick kick ass rock and roll record, like like Appetite for Destruction or something like that in our in our way." So we we did we we. we Wrote the stuff, recorded it right away while it was fresh, while it was before we had a chance to overthink anything. Right. Two guitars, bass, drums, vocals. That's it. Some overdubs for solos or whatever. And um, it wasn't a whole lot of tracks or a whole lot of the, you know it was like zero production, but just more about the the attitude. And uh, so that's similar to in the '70s, you know. Maybe, maybe on future recordings, maybe we'll, we'll dabble a little bit more in some of the layering and stuff, like the bands I like Zeppelin, I'd love how they did that. But, um, but this also works too. It's similar in a way to ACDC or something, or Aerosmith, right. so that we can we sound pretty much like the record. You know? and there is an Aerosmith-esque kind of sound with it. Yeah, we, we all love it's Aerosmith. Cool. John is a huge Steven Tyler. I mean, Everyone is. Everyone, everyone is, yeah. Everyone loves Steve Tyler. But, but yeah, there's a few things that um, that are reminiscent of some Aerosmith. There's a little bit of uh, ACDC type influences. Maybe some, a little bit of... Um, we love Van Halen. We right. love Deep Purple, Zeppelin. There's there's pretty much you know anything that was big, we liked it. Yeah. And so we're just representing that. And you're representing it well, I might add. Thanks, it's man. It's very... Uh, uh, and, you know, getting back to the tour, the Dead Daisies tour seemed to be very successful. And you're playing a lot of sold-out shows, aren't you? The We're building in the U.S. This is the first time we've done clubs in the U.S. We've done our own headline shows. Right. And we've had a few sellouts, and we've had a few shows that we're, you know, we're building. You, you guys were selling out in Europe, though, weren't you? Yeah, a lot, yeah. A lot in your Europeans. different... Uh, because a lot of because the bands that we come from are the fans really love from well like I can speak for Whitesnake fans mm -hmm. are really strong in Europe um, and in the US it's it's a little different you know right 
but uh, but yeah, we sold out a lot there, and we've sold out a couple of the the U.S. run out of the out of the dozen, um, and I think we'll sell out a couple more when it's all yeah. said and done. I think L.A. and Vegas will probably be sold out. Pretty sure Vegas, for sure, is just a great great club, and um, I encourage people to come down, support this music, and you know, and uh, they'll have a good time for sure. I mean, you'll see. Have you seen the band before? I have not seen the band perform before. So you, it's all YouTube. This was yeah, tonight's yeah. going to be my first night. So you'll see how it, it just you know John really is a great MC. Marco's larger than life. The two of those guys are working the crowd. Got guitar ripping on both sides. And Brian Tishy is the most incredible drummer, and he's one of pound for pound the best in the world. You know. And he throws down every night, and that's what I—that's what this band's really. I respect it. Doesn't matter if we—we we went to Korea last year and played for the troops, yeah. and I'm really happy we did that because now they're—they're they're in the thick of it over there. Yeah. We played at three or four different bases, um, and there were there was one night where there was, you know, I don't know what was going on, but a lot of guys had to work. They had to, they were on duty or something, and it was it was really only about 50 people there. But we threw down just like we would if there was 50,000 people because that's what we do. Because yeah. we actually really enjoy it, you know? It's like, you know, it doesn't matter how many people are there. We, the, the Polish festival that I was telling you about that we did with the audience, with the orchestra, that was like, seriously, 300,000 people. Wow. We headlined it and it was a, it's a free concert for everybody in Poland to be there. And, um, it was amazing, but there's something really cool about, you know, a smaller audience, especially a really small, intimate audience, where you really gotta, you gotta play good, man, yeah. because, you know, there's, the crowd doesn't feed off itself, like when there's 300,000 people. So, we, we like it, you know, either way. And do you guys uh, have any future plans on touring after this year, or is everybody gonna head out and do their own thing for a while? We're gonna um, we're, we're gonna we're talking about making a new record in nice in uh, the end of October. We're tentative schedule is that we would go to New York and write for a couple weeks and then go directly to Nashville and record it like we did before, like I mentioned. Right. Right after that, go straight in the studio, set up, play the songs for the producer, have him tell us his favorites, and then we kind of fine tune them and then record them right away. So we can expect a, a new album maybe Spring. next year. Yeah, springtime. And then probably we would pick it up in the summer for touring. For yeah. touring, yeah. Meanwhile, um, I have a thing that I've done called Fr um, it's on Frontiers. It's um, called Revolution Saints with Jack Blades and Dean Castronovo. And we had done a record a couple years ago, and that record's coming out in October. There's a couple songs out right now that people okay. should, can check out. Something different to listen to. I don't know if that if we're going to do any shows. There's no plan at this point, but. You never know, maybe it's some benefits or something to raise some money for, you know, something positive. I can ask, your, I know your publicist, Dustin, so I can ask him. Cool. So uh, that would that would be good. That would be very cool. Um, now, the Dirty Dozen Tour is uh, the band's first U.S. headline tour. I'm not trying to put you on the spot. Go ahead. Say it. Just say it? Okay. Great. All right. <laughs> can you tell me how the decision was made? To only do a North American Dirty Dozen rather than a Dirty 30 tour. 
<laughs> Dirty 30s. Why are we just see C12 instead of 30? Because we just wanted to test the waters. We, you know, I mean, we're happy to come play if yeah. we get an invite. So I think they, they, the agent put the feelers out and these were the markets that said, yeah, we want them, you know? Yeah. So we, or, or let's give them a shot. So um, we, we definitely look at it like a building process. And yeah, any band, you know, when, when you're, when you've played in certain other bands that were bigger and you come in this situation, you, you got to do it because you like it. Right. And you're, and you're trying to build it. Uh, and that's what we're doing. So, but I mean, it's better to, to not bite off more than we could chew at first. If we were opening for um, Deep Purple or Skinner or something like that, and they're doing 60 dates, sure, we'll, we'll come. We know we could bring some people, but this is what we need to do now is, is build, get our name as a, 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 we've done this, get it under our belt, and then we'll see what happens next year. But um, definitely we'll be doing more shows in the U.S. next year. Nice. We're looking forward to it. Now for the last and most important question. Whose songs are you singing or playing guitar to in the shower, air guitar in the shower? <laughs> Lately, I just kind of re been revisiting Van Halen, the early Van Halen record, the first one. Because um, it's just like, I mean, Eddie was always great, but that first record, he like, he set the world. I was talking to Brian Tishy about it today. We were in the gym and we were cranking some Van Halen and it, there happened to be a, a speed bag in there so he was teaching me how to speed bag and we were listening to Van Halen and working out and we both were like god man this stuff is just insane this, kid, this guy was 20 something years old and so like perfect and he took the world basically on the second song which was Eruption right he basically flipped the guitar world upside down with that one song and we thought we were both agreeing like you know well, Hendrix didn't do that. Page didn't do that. I mean, those guys were amazing and well-renowned, huge superstars. But they did it with the process of a record, where they're you know, if you go see Hendrix live, he's getting the feedback and doing all the tricks and all that stuff. Page, the songs, you know, you listen to the whole body of work and you go, this guy's a badass. But it was just hearing Eruption. It's like, okay, it's all over. That's it. He wins. Yeah. Eddie wins. <laughs> yeah. For that time, he did, you know, and then other people take over, you know, they pass the torch. Yeah. And then your taste changes too, you know, sometimes you go, yeah, it does. you know, man, David Gilmore, or David Gilmore, or, or Neil Sean, I mean, the solos that Neil Sean writes, I mean, they're just genius melodies, you know, he can, he can wail. Yeah, but I, he, I love Neil Sean. He, he, he writes some, just the most amazing, the way he builds the melodies and stuff at the end of a song, and then kind of goes off in between the melodies, great. And there, there's rumors going around. You may end up him and Steve. You never know. Yeah, I think there's, I think they're, they're, they're due, man, to do something. And I've heard a few other rumors too, which I will not be the one to say about. But um, all good stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're hoping. If we, if we get more of Neil, that's a good thing. Yeah, Neil's always good. Man, I appreciate your time. You got to took a lot of time with me. I appreciate that. Hey, it's my pleasure, man. That's We're looking forward to tonight. We, we appreciate what you do. Man. You're listening to Rock at Night. Thanks for the intro melody. It's called Get On Down by Billy Bass Alford. Thanks. <laughs>